Welcome to Not Fair, the podcast where we call out the inequalities, obstacles, or just plain inconveniences that stand in our way. I'm your host, Zoe Mitchell. We are facing one of the worst health crises in our history. Every year, more and more people are dying from opioids. At the time, 2015 was the worst year for opioid deaths, until 2016 came along. The Massachusetts Department of Public Health reports that in 2016, Opioids were linked to 2,069 deaths in the state, a 15% increase from the year before. Drug overdoses have become the leading cause of death for Americans under 50, but there are other issues associated with opioid addiction. From reporter Madeline Carr on the difficulties associated with one aspect of recovering from addiction, finding a place to call home. I was an addict in full-blown addiction. I was a thief. I was manipulative. I was untrustworthy, not reliable. I was not the kind of person anybody wanted to be around. Carrie Ann Ray is a friend of mine. She is just one of the voices of the opiate plague that is taking the lives of 91 Americans every day. Carrie Ann is lucky, if you can call any addict lucky, because she is still alive today because life became unmanageable and it wasn't a life I wasn't living, I was just existing. If you live in Massachusetts or just about anywhere else in America, you've likely been bombarded with the F word lately. That's right, fentanyl. Fentanyl is a prescription pain reliever with a potency 50 to 100 times that of morphine. Fentanyl is an opioid that is making its way into heroin. But addicts don't know what's in their fix. So heroin laced with fentanyl is often fatal. Massachusetts recorded 1,933 fatal opiate overdoses in 2016. This number is up 42% in just two years. On a day-to-day basis, my heroin habit was high. Towards the end, I was profiting through my so-called hustling about four grand a week and I have nothing to show for it. I couldn't even buy myself a new pair of sneakers or I'd go without food or I was bumming cigarettes off people because every last penny had to be saved for my next fix or was used for that fix. For many users, overdoses are common. You overdose, you are revived with Narcan, you feel awful, and you repeat. Heroin users' risk of overdose increases as their tolerance builds. Fatal overdoses are far more common in longtime addicts compared with new users. Carrie Ann suffered four overdoses in her final week of using. I'm Madeline Carr, and this is the Not Fair Podcast. Carrie Ann Ray has traveled a long and difficult road from full-blown addiction to sobriety. Today she is clean, but it is a daily struggle to stay that way. The obstacles are daunting. Carrie Ann is 27 years old and lives in Mattapan. She has a job as a server on the Odyssey Harbor Cruise in Boston. She grew up in Massachusetts, bouncing between foster homes in Carver and Abington before landing in East Bridgewater for high school and college. For now, Carrie Ann lives under strict supervision in a sober house for women but she wants to leave. I live in a sober house. It's temporary living until I can get on my feet and able to live like an adult. You'll hear this from Carrie Ann a lot. 
she is highly focused on living like an adult. Carrie Ann has lived independently since the age of 16. With more than a decade of legal independence under her belt, she says it's time to buckle down and play by the rules. But the system is stacked against her and other recovering addicts. I am moving because my living situation is starting to expire, so I need to move on. Carrie Ann has spent five months in the house, which is supported by the Massachusetts Alliance for Sober Housing. Residents spend anywhere from a few days to a year in the group home. Rooms are rented week to week. At the six-month mark, the women are asked to arrange their departure plan. Now that I am moving, I am able to stand on my own two feet. I am able to support myself independently. I am able to afford my own place. As Carrie Ann prepares to leave, she's faced with many questions. Most immediately, where does she go now? After five months in the house, and 10 months of sobriety behind her, Carrie Ann is ready to inhabit a new life. She has a steady job, growing savings, and a boyfriend, all markers of success in her book. She wants a place to build this new life. She wants a home. The process of looking for a place for us to live was very difficult because we both have criminal backgrounds. I don't have good credit. Even though he has good credit, he has a very bad background and people tend to hold judgment. Carrie Ann went to prison for six months, two years ago. She was caught in the vicious cycle facing many addicts. I to come up with money to pay my habit. I would rob people, I would steal from stores, I'd steal money from people, I would steal from stores and return, cash in, you know, gift cards. I would pawn everything that I can get my hands on I would manipulate people to buy me drugs, to give me money. Towards the end, I was selling myself because it was easy, it was cash, it was guaranteed. I'm not happy about it, but it definitely gave me experience. It definitely opened my eyes up to what the whole world of drugs and all that craziness is about. Carrie Ann landed in prison as a result of a probation violation. She was originally charged with stealing copper pipe from an abandoned house. After pleading guilty to breaking and entering, she was sentenced to a two-year supervised probation. I had two-year supervised probation in that I would pass urines, which I did not complete. That's why I served time. As part of her probation, she had to submit urine tests to her probation officer, but she was still using. And rather than sending her to rehab, she was sent to prison. They just, the probation officers, the judge, they all know certain crimes like that, especially with the opiate epidemic going around now, that similar crimes like that are usually to fuel addiction. She did not receive treatment in prison. She was left to detox alone behind bars. As soon as she was released, Carrie Ann still wanted to use the drugs that landed her in prison in the first place. And so she did. Until one day she didn't. I wasn't sober after I got out of jail. I was out for a while, and I still lived the same life. I just, I was out for a year and a half, and then one day I just woke up and didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to better my life. I didn't want this lifestyle anymore. So I could be sober because I went to jail, or I could not. It was more of like an internal desire to get better.
Yeah, it was two days before Christmas, and I just was miserable in my situation. I was depressed. Sometimes I was suicidal. I just didn't want to be that person I was living, and I wanted my old life back, plus more. I wanted to be normal. That internal desire to get clean and stay clean is supported by meetings for people in recovery. Yeah, I definitely have a community. We call it a network. I have, I'd say, 50 to 100 people on my phone that are in my AA network where I can call any of the time of the day just to talk or for help if I'm struggling and they'd be there at a drop of a dime. Carrie Ann, like many others, has lost friends to the modern opiate epidemic. Each day, her Facebook feed reads like the obituary section of a newspaper. Um, everybody's different, but it's more of a solo habit. Maybe one other person I used with my ex-boyfriend. And then towards the end, when he went to jail, I used them by myself. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to share my drugs. I just wanted to get high and just, you know, be alone. And do you have friends today? Yes, I most definitely do. Friends that are sober, friends that I can call in the middle of the night if I needed help, friends that I could trust. And I know I can be that friend today where my friends can call me and I would be there for them. I've had people that have come up to me and, you know, that I've met at meetings or in my house and asked me for help and support. Because sometimes, you know, you could be helping someone the next day and then you need that person the next day for help. And like they say in my community, community, you're not, if you're not there to help an addict, don't put one down. Carrie Ann spends her days going to AA meetings, going to work, and looking to make her next move into a new life. But I'm trying to be that honest, normal citizen now. I pay my taxes, I work hard, I just want to better my future. So yeah. I could say that I'm a normal citizen now. Today, I am an independent, strong woman. I am sober. I'm honest, trustworthy. I have definitely grown into an adult that I was not less than a year ago. But as she is building a new life, her time as an addict will follow her at every turn. Carrie Ann has applied for 14 apartments, but when the landlord does a background check, it's bad news. I think a lot of landlords just see our background, our history, and just assume the worst, that we aren't different people than we were then, so they choose not to rent to us. Do you think everyone deserves a second chance? For the most part, yes. If they're doing some sort of work to improve their life, they should most definitely get a chance. If you are stuck in your situation and you're not trying to make any improvement or changes, then maybe they need to work a little harder before they can earn that second chance. And how do you make that distinction? Who's working hard enough? You can tell, because if you had met me a year ago, I wasn't the same smiling, hardworking person. I didn't hold a job. You could just look at me and just distinguish that I was not the normal average citizen. If you can put yourself in the landlord's shoes, would you look at an application like yours and say yes? No, I wouldn't. Truthfully, I would not. I would see someone on paper, 
I might be very skeptical. I'd also possibly, even though my time frame hasn't been that long since I've been incarcerated, but it's, I could see where they're coming from. Unless you meet a person, I really can't pass judgment. So I don't blame them one bit. After over a dozen rejections, something happened that restored Carrie Ann's signature optimism. She got an apartment. Um, we, when we first initially met her, she was nice. Um, she was very down to earth. She told us she'd get back to us in a couple days, and we didn't hear from her. So we kind of just blew it off as the same process we've been going through. It took her a few weeks to get back to us, and she finally did and said she really liked us and that she would love to rent us out the apartment. As much as it's been stressful and heartbreaking, you know, good things always come to those who work hard and are patient, and I definitely, you know, have seen that. It definitely came at a time when I was, you know, mentally about to give up and stop looking. It was a blessing in disguise. It is a product of hard work and time. It's also one of the gifts of sobriety. Carrie Ann and her boyfriend will move into their new apartment in Watertown in two weeks. It's a basement apartment of a house in a wonderful neighborhood. It will be our own. And did your background ever come up? We did sign the waivers for the background check. So my guess, we didn't have a conversation about it. My guess is that she ran it. And I think she thought about it for a while, and because we met her in person and she really liked us, maybe she's just going on hope that we are the people she met and not the people on paper. Carrie Ann hopes that more people will be like her new landlord. Look at the person in front of them, not at her past mistakes. A lot of people have histories, they have backgrounds, they've made a lot of bad choices in their life. And, you know, you should... You know, give people the benefit of the doubt. Go by your gut instinct when you meet a person. Don't judge them on their past because everybody has a story to tell and you really don't know what life is like until you walk in their own shoes. You know, life's not fair. I don't always get treated fairly. I get judged a lot. But I just keep it back on my mind that, you know, the world doesn't owe you anything. You have to owe it to yourself. You have to work for the things you want in life. And you have to be grateful for what you have. The challenge now is to hold on to what she has and to build on that one day at a time. This is Madeline Carr in Boston. This has been Not Fair, the podcast. Next time, how noise and noise pollution have affected two communities in Boston. I've been your host, Zoe Mitchell.